Have you heard the birds sing, the trees breathe, and the rain fall? The stories we tell ourselves are what create our reality. Hi, I'm Julia, your host, and you're listening to Terra Stories, the podcast that will awaken your mind to new perspectives, to reconnect to yourself, to nature, and to become an actor of change in tomorrow's world. What would it be like? If we were so in love with the living entities we shared this world with that we whispered their names in passing like a lover. Imagine the joy of walking through the world as if amongst intimate friends, knowing them by name, knowing what they like, knowing what they need to survive, or rather, what they need to thrive. It is no secret that our human world has largely become disconnected from the non-human one, and I myself have fallen into that dismal chasm on many occasions. But I believe we can rebuild that connection. We can rebuild those relationships with care and love. We can learn to pay attention. We can learn their names. We can reconnect by rediscovering how to find wonder in the small things. Justine's grandfather had a passion for photographing trees, particularly those with character. This made him a man who knew how to find wonder in the small things. Justin found her grandfather's legacy to be a guiding light amid the growing waves of the haunting melodies of a changing world. As she embarked on her own odyssey, she understood that the wonders of the world weren't just confined to the grandiose. They flourished in the hidden corners of the earth, just waiting for someone to see them. Justine is now a writer. She believes that words and the stories we build with them have the ability to unveil the wonders we often overlook. What brought Justine back to seeing the wonder in the small things? Dive into this new episode and open your eyes to the wonders of the natural world. But before, don't forget to activate the little bell on your favorite platform so you don't miss any new episodes and support Terra Stories by adding five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That really helps. Now, let's go back to the show. Thank you so much, Justine, to, to be here. I'm so happy <laughs> to record this podcast together. Yeah, thank you so much for, for having me on here. I'm absolutely thrilled to be a part of, of what you're doing, which I think is so admirable to be sharing stories and connecting people and uplifting voices that, that need to be heard. So I am, yeah, feeling very content and, and excited. That's great. And if you want to introduce yourself to, to our listeners, who are you and what, what do you do? Sure. Um, so my name is Justine Payton. And while I was born and raised in the Chicagoland area, I currently reside in North Carolina. 
where I will be attending an MFA in creative writing program this fall. I've always dreamed of being a writer, but it's finally now at 31 years old that I've decided to pursue it full time. And I lean towards writing what I care about. So this normally for me means nature and climate change, as well as issues that impact women. I am a bit of a feminist, (laughs) um, but I've come to believe that a fulfilling life really can be found in aligning our passions and our skills to create a positive impact, regardless of how big that impact may be. And that's what I'm currently striving for in the work and writing that I do. Yeah, and... You will see <laughs> the people who are listening to this podcast that what I loved about this story is that it's kind of like an essay, but a story at the same time. You're visiting some really important themes in the environmental and natural world. And at the same time, you're you're sharing your story and your emotions. So I think it's very powerful. And if you want to start uh, reading it, that would be wonderful. <laughs> I want to start with a word and a quote, because words and language are powerful. They have the ability to inspire, to evoke, to catalyze change. Words are dynamic. Their meaning, their connotation can change. And new words are being developed in languages around the world to meet the changing times in which we live. New stories are being told, too, written and spoken to meet the need for new narratives one that explore the possibility of alternative futures and that seek to understand where we are now and why. Coined in 2005 by philosopher Glenn Albrecht, the word solastalgia entered the realm of the English language as a derivative of the Latin words for solace, solari, desolation, desolare, and pain or sorrow, algia. Albrecht defines the word as the pain or distress caused by the ongoing loss of solace and the sense of desolation connected to the present state of one's home and territory. It is an existential and lived experience of negative environmental change, manifest as an attack on one's sense of place. It is a word that was developed out of the loss, grief, and despair of the climate crisis and environmental degradation. It is a word for the loss of the places, species, and experiences we love, a loss that is occurring right before our eyes. It is a word for the weeping willows of my childhood that were cut down to make space for new development. It is a word for the growing desolation left behind by dying hemlocks in the east, for disappearing shorelines, forests destroyed by wildfires, for the death of the honeybees. It is a word that captures a parallel experience of grief and love. The quote I want to share is by Emily N. Johnson from her essay, Loving a Vanishing World, published in the book, All We Can Save. She writes, It's a constant question for me every time I'm entranced by the beauty of this world. What does it mean to love this place? What does it mean to love anyone or anything in a world whose vanishing is accelerating, perhaps beyond our capacity to save the things that we love most? We still have the chance to make the space for hope to act in such a way that hope might exist for others who come after us. Do we dare to ask ourselves, what does it mean, or would it mean, to love this place? 
to love the people and the places, the non-human species, the inanimate forces that shape our geography, the future. Yes, the future of this place is an entity worthy of our care and attention. Do we dare to ask ourselves, what does it mean to love anyone or anything in a world whose vanishing is accelerating, perhaps beyond our capacity to save the things that we love most? Personally, I have felt grief, fear, resistance, yearning, anxiety, depression, urgency, and confusion. I have felt solastalgia, watching the places that I love disappear or face an increasingly dire and devastating future, that is, if they have one at all. I have stayed up at night wondering if I should try to bring children into this vanishing world, wondering if I did, how I would explain all of this to them, wondering what, if anything, I can do to change the destructive course our society seems hell-bent on pursuing. And yes, I have felt an overwhelming hopelessness that comes with facing the reality of a multifaceted crisis that seems insurmountable, a feeling small in the shadow of a worldwide assault on our original home, this planet Earth. I decided to start with a word and a quote because words are my chosen method of storytelling as a writer. But the story I want to share is actually not about the devastating realities of the climate crisis, although that context sets the scene. This story is about making space for hope. It is about wonder and the power of attention. It is a story of a writer who believes in the power of wonder and words to inspire change at an individual level. My introduction to the natural world, as far as I can recall, was rooted in the magic of fantastical worlds and exploration. Trees were the abode of gnomes, bubbling creeks the playground of fairies, the seed pods of a milkweed the source of a thousand wishes. It was a world that held me gently in a suspension of continuous wonder and imagination. As so few kids do nowadays, I spent much of my childhood outside. The dictionary defines wonder as a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. For me, wonder is the sensation of being drawn in, of suspending your own conception of self as you absorb your being in the present. It is a giddy lightheadedness of knowing you are privy to a sight, an experience, an upliftment that is unique to that specific moment and to who you are in that momentary gasp of infinite time. The time is mysterious, and it has a way of changing us. As I grew up and began to travel, I sought wonder not in the spaces around me, but in vast spans of wilderness, on the summits of mountains, in the shadows of old-growth forests, on the transitional line between ocean and sand. I demanded grandeur as a prerequisite of wonder, and came to disregard the places of my childhood as insignificant. Somehow, in the evolution from child to adult, I lost, or forgot, the ability to see wonder in the small things. I am 31 years old now, and over the years have called many places home. Most recently, I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, in a low to middle income suburb of winding streets and rows of similar dull-looking houses. There was a recreational airfield hidden behind a straight row of tall, skinny pine trees, and the noise of whirring engines hummed alongside the sounds of cars, dogs, and sirens as a background of daily life. 
It was the antithesis of wild in my mind, devoid of anything I could see as wonderful, having been drowned out by the cacophony of man-made sounds, constructions, and contraptions. I dreamt of escaping to the mountains to backpack for months on end, but was held back by obligations to work and an ever-present anxiety of financial insecurity. Circumstantially denied the experience of wild wonder that I craved, my disposition became increasingly sullen. And when the heat of Florida summer arrived, I found myself spending long months indoors without more than a few passing moments outside, mostly walking from my house to my car or from my car to whatever destination I had arrived at, one man-made structure to the next. And yet it ended up being here, in Jacksonville, Florida of all places, that I rediscovered the immediacy of wonder. One morning, maybe an hour before the sun pierced the horizon, I lay in bed, unable to fall back asleep. I stared at the dark ceiling as familiar thoughts swirled through my mind. The to-dos of the day, the lack of fulfillment from my daily work, worries about the future, the constraint of feeling stuck in a place that I did not love. It was in this melancholic state of waiting for the day to arrive that it began. A dawn chorus of birds, many different species, singing from a single holly oak tree outside my bedroom window. It was a symphony of sounds that was captivatingly beautiful and intimate, an amalgamation of conversations that I would never truly understand. But I could listen, silent, held in a gasp of wonder. Later that day, with the sun now fully shining, I eagerly watched the birds of the holly oak and began to identify the different species that called it home. There was a Carolina wren, morning dove, tufted titmouse, Carolina chickadee, eastern bluebird, northern cardinal, boat-tailed grackle, blue jay, brown thrasher, and the northern mockingbird. And the tree itself was beautiful conical mass of dark green and glossy leaves that protruded from branches like shards of rounded glass. In retrospect, I can only blame my own lack of attention for not noticing the birds before. The truth is that they had always been there. I had heard them before, but as background noise to the life that I was living. Now they held my full attention, pulling my eyes in with a devoted rapture. They appeared as flashes of beautiful hues of brown and black, of contrasting brilliance in blue and orange. Their feathers splayed out in aerodynamic designs that defied the creations of mankind. Their songs were unique and enticing, like an invitation to explore untold secrets and mysteries. And they were indisputably and beautifully wild, soaring, fighting, mating, surviving, I suddenly cared deeply for the well-being of these birds. I began to research their migration patterns, whether they were impacted by climate change, whether they had enough trees to survive to make a home. I wondered if they shared space in the holly oak tree out of desire or out of necessity. I marveled at their artistic beauty. I tried to learn their songs. And perhaps most surreal, most subtle, was the way the birds began to shape my thoughts how their presence made me contemplate and reconsider our ability as humans to listen to each other, to harmonize our voices when needed and to give space for others to be heard, how we can learn to cooperate, appreciate each other's unique and diverse beauty, 
to sing our own story but know the inherent importance of listening to the stories that others sing as well. They made me wonder about our ability, my ability, to see wonder in the small things. In the foreword to an Orion magazine anthology titled Wonder and Other Survival Skills, Orion's then editor-in-chief, H. Emerson Blake, wrote, But maybe it's for just that reason, how busy we are and distracted and disconnected we are, that wonder really is a survival skill. It might be the thing that reminds us of what really matters and of the greater systems that our lives are completely dependent on. It might be the thing that helps us build an emotional connection, an intimacy with our surroundings that, in turn, would make us want to do anything we can to protect them. It might build our inner reserves, give us the strength to turn outward and meet those challenges with grace. It was an unexpected revelation to have in a Jacksonville suburb, to realize that wonder and my ability to experience it was solely dependent on my ability to be attentive. I did not need the grandeur of mountains or my own conception of rugged, rugged wildness for wonder and wild could now be found in a suburban backyard. I discovered, although rediscovered is likely more accurate, that I could find wonder in the birds of a holly oak or a patch of grass in a city center. I could discover it in the presence of a dandelion weed. I could fall into its grasp by tracing my hand across the rough and textured bark of a live oak. I could settle into its seduction by watching the artistry of a windswept cirrus cloud move across the sky. My sullenness transformed into active wonder, something that was now available for me to access at any moment. And my desire to face the challenges of the climate crisis increased tenfold. I had found new reservoirs of solace and inspiration to continue the fight. Wonder, and our ability to be open to the experience of it, is a survival skill that is worth cultivating because it is a window into hope. It is an expansion of our hearts and our minds to make space for another. For when we fall into the embrace of wonder, we cannot help but love and care for the inspiration of it. We cannot help but feel inspired to act for its preservation. We cannot help but hope for a better future, not just for ourselves, but for all beings. I am still learning and practicing this attention to wonder. It has become a kind of purposeful and present meditation in my daily life. I recently moved to a new home, this time in Leland, North Carolina, where I'll be attending an MFA in creative writing program. It is another suburban landscape with rows of cheaply built houses and fence-lined backyards, and there are no trees outside my window. But there are trees nearby, and that will do. Early in the morning, I often sit outside on my patio and listen to the dawn chorus of birds in those neighboring trees, some familiar, some new. I watch throughout the day as eastern cottontails, those boisterous and common rabbits, jump around between the confines of our wooden fences, noses and tails twitching. I laugh as squirrels run circles around each other, finding myself inclined to identify their differences by the color of their fur and the fluffiness of their tails. I'm beginning to learn about the grass that grows here, so slowly, and the weeds that reach up towards the sun in rapid acceleration. I'm still bound by various obligations and a bank account that doesn't quite keep pace with my traveling and backpacking dreams, 
and I won't deny that my heart calls out to the mountains with a deep longing. There's absolutely wonder in their majesty. But I'm learning to pay attention to, to love and care for, this new place I will call home. I'm learning to find wonder here, and in the experience of that pursuit, my heart is content. Robin Wall Kimmerer, author of Braiding Sweetgrass, writes that names are the way we humans build relationship, not only with each other, but with the living world. Embarking on my own journey to learn the names of the species I share space with, I wondered how different our policies would be around protecting the environment if non-human species were not an it, but a being. What would it be like if we were so in love with the living entities we shared this world with that we whispered their names in passing like a lover? Imagine the joy of walking through the world as if amongst intimate friends, knowing them by name, knowing what they like, knowing what they need to survive, or rather, what they need to thrive. It is no secret that our human world has largely become disconnected from the non-human one, and I myself have fallen into that dismal chasm on many occasions. But I believe we can rebuild that connection. We can rebuild those relationships with care and love. We can learn to pay attention. We can learn their names. We can reconnect by rediscovering how to find wonder in the small things. As I write this, a team at the North American Nanohertz Observatory for Gravitational Waves has recently revealed a study confirming that there is a cosmic background of ripples in the structure of space and time, that the whole universe is humming. Every star, every planet, every continent, every building, every person vibrating along to the slow cosmic beat. In other words, every proton and neutron in every atom from the tip of your toes to the top of your head is shifting, shuttling, and vibrating in a collective purr within which the entire history of the universe is implicated. All of a sudden, we know that we are humming in tune with the entire universe, that each of us contains the signature of everything that has ever been. I share this with hope that we as a society will learn to walk freely and joyfully into this mysterious and beautiful world, attentive to a moment, a breath, the whisper of a passing wind, an unfurling flower, a sunrise, the caress of rain and snow, the flickering light of a firefly, or a chorus of birds in a suburban holly oak tree. Every motion of every being is moving in synchronicity with a universal hum that connects all of us at the deepest level of existence. How could that be anything else but wonder-filled? While we may not be able to tangibly sense this universal vibration of our own atoms, we can move more attentively through the world that we inhabit and that is dancing to its rhythm. We can dare to be attuned to our deepest sense of connection. We can reclaim our sense of wonder, and through this, maybe we will allow ourselves to care. With that care, I truly believe that we can change course on the pervasive apathy that has seeped in our, into our society's present and future. If we act on that care, we can collectively write a new story, one where the earth and all its living species are loved and respected as equal beings with whom we share a home. It will require our attention, but that much, at least, we all can offer to addressing the climate crisis. There are so many things that are outside of our control, but where we place our attention and how we choose to act in each moment is within our control. That is something that everyone is capable of doing. 
We can offer our attention, open our hearts to the possibility of wonder in the small things, allow ourselves to love this place, whatever the definition of place may be for you. I recognize that with this love, there may also come sadness, fear, anxiety, maybe solastalgia. That's okay. These emotions are a natural consequence of love when what we love is in distress or danger. These emotions also lend themselves to action if we allow them to and balance them with hope. In the words of Paul Bogard, to feel these emotions is to better understand our collective fate and our connected response to a disappearing world. For me, I hold on to the hope that our individual actions can make a difference, that what I do matters, even if the impact is only in my backyard. Daring to love and act on that love is no small thing, and daring to hope, to hold on to hope as the catalyst of action, is an act of love. That was beautiful. Thank you so much. I don't know how are you feeling right now after reading this. Well, thank you again for the opportunity to share this story. I think for me, and you and I spoke about this a little bit first when we met a month or two ago, that for me, storytelling is really about connection. At its heart, it's, it's about a vulnerability of the person sharing with the hearts of others. And sometimes I think about it, maybe it's a weird metaphor, but I think of stories like seeds, where the story is a seed and, and the author or the writer or the speaker is sharing it, and then it goes out into the world as a single shoot, but grows and branches off. And once you release the story, you never know where it is going to go or who it is going to reach, what it might mean to them, what stories it might inspire them to tell. But I feel like when you share stories and receive stories, that it's one of the most intimate acts of connection that we have available to us. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. And you showed that wonder is something natural that we can see just by opening our eyes, just opening our windows and seeing the birds. But at the same time, it's something we have to cultivate also. What would you advise to our listeners to practice uh, this wonder in their lives, to uh, learn to cultivate this love for, for the natural world? Yeah, I, I think the easiest thing to do is to spend to spend time outside and in spending that time outside to be attentive. I really believe that attentiveness is a prerequisite of experiencing wonder um, because it's all around us. We tend to think that wilderness, or I, I tended to think as I indicated in the story that wilderness and wonder had to be in these grand, grand expanses of wilderness, you know, mountaintops and oceans and old growth forests, things like that. But The reality is that if you're attentive enough, even to the small things in your surroundings, even a blade of grass uh, creeping up between the cracks of sidewalks or the insects going about their business to build a home and collect nourishment, all of these things can be inspirations for wonder. And I think we're living in an age where knowledge about the natural world is so accessible There are so many apps that you can download on your phone that can help you identify different species, whether of plant or tree or bird or 
insect um, and it gives you some information about them. We have the internet, we have the library with books. There's so many ways to kind of deepen that knowledge and that understanding. And I actually find that by deepening my understanding of the species around me, I increase in my wonder. It doesn't take away from like the newness of wonder. It actually develops into a deeper appreciation and awe at, at how species are living and interacting with the world. That was so inspiring, Justine. I, there's this question that I love asking, and it's quite difficult sometimes. <laughs> what ancestor would you like to be, and what word do you envision in the future? I mean, my first thought was just thinking personally about my own knowledge of my ancestors, which is actually extremely limited. I don't come from a family with a strong sense of ancestral belonging. At the same time, I come from a really wonderful family that where I'm surrounded by strong women from my mom to my grandmother to my aunts. And for some reason, the, the question was making me think about my grandfather, who we call Pepe, um, who actually died before I was born. And my dad has told me stories. My dad and I both share a love for hiking and going out together in nature. And he would share that my grandfather, my papé, would take pictures of trees with character, trees that stood out in some way as being unique. And I think that because of this, my projection onto him is that he was a man who knew how to find wonder in the small thing. And there's been a sense of connection with that. And so I think when I think about being an ancestor for the future, yeah, I would want, I think even just in general, the way I want to live my life is one where at the end of however much time that I have, I've lived a life in alignment with my values, lived a life that's rooted in compassion, and I've lived a life where I'm not afraid to speak my story and speak my mind. And I will never be the type of person who sits by as something that I disagree about goes on, something that I love is threatened. And I would like that to be the inspiration or the story that I leave behind. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Thank you so much, Justine, for this amazing story. I hope the listeners enjoyed your your story. And, and yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Julia. Pleasure to be here. The podcast is coming to an end. Thank you so much for listening. You can find Terra Stories on Instagram at terrastories.studio and on LinkedIn. If you liked the episode, talk about it around you, share it with your friends. That's the thing that would give the biggest boost to the podcast. And don't hesitate to write me about the topics or personalities you'd like me to invite or address. I wish you a beautiful day or evening.